What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Big Jeff. Andy, flip-flop guy. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Just got back from Mexico. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. And, you a know. little play of Del Carma. Yeah. Yeah. What's a, a cool place. What a beautiful city. I would agree. Well, I don't know about the city. I, I wasn't there for the city. The, the downtown strip is where I was at. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure you might have been in the... It, was, it wasn't that big when I was there. Uh-huh. It, was, it was a village the last time I was there. Um, in fact, I can tell you, my oldest daughter is 29, and she was a year and a half old the last time I was in Playa del Carmen. So we're shooting back to the 90s. Old school. Yeah. I, I think that makes me an OG. Pre, Pre-MTV Cancun oh, Spring Breakers. Yeah, there was I missed that, that by just a few years. It was a bummer. I think I'd have been really good at it. <laughs> Having fun down there? <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole MTV Spring Break thing was, it took it to the next level. It wasn't quite that crazy when I was there. It was great for promotion for tourism. For, for, I'm, I'm certain of that. Yeah. But now you got to party with the, like the Sinaloan cartel. I'm not sure if I'm, I, 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 that's there's levels to the game, and I think those guys take it to a level that I'm not necessarily. I'm not on that. I'm not on par with that. Never was actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, what was wild? There was a restaurant. Uh, I want to say it's called Portofilio, that we would go and eat at, and I mean like immersive experience for food they bring it out and they pour flaming tequila over your two and a half pound ribeye steaks and like the whole experience there was amazing but the corner that it was on uh the street that went all the way down to the ocean which was only a block and a half away that was the dividing line for one cartel and the other cartel (laughs) and my buddy who lives there was telling us about like when you're walking down the street and you see the different restaurants or storefronts and everything like that, the ones that have armed security in front of them are the ones that are not paying off the cartel. So that's how you could figure out which businesses were run by the cartel and pay off the cartel and which ones didn't. Really interesting. You know, Mexico to me has always been one of the coolest places. And and I say that, and it's not just the you know, this sort of obvious, you know, beachfront uh, locale, but just the culture, the people, the food. I just, I think it's an amazing place. And um, I, I think there's got to be something done so that we can get it back to, or they can get it back to a place so that it's a little less intimidating. Although I spent, I was in Mexico myself twice this year. And in neither of those did I have any incident and had a great visit. And again, great people, great yeah, food. Yeah, you went down there on a phenomenal desert sheep hunt. Two, actually. Two. I, I had booked a desert bighorn sheep hunt to uh, Carmen Island. And then um, I won the Full Curl Society Sonoran desert bighorn sheep nope, hunt. No big deal there. Right, right <laughs> on. It was, it was pretty fantastic. And we had a great time. Um, we were uh, down there with uh, Wade Lemon outfitting Mm-hmm. had a great time and and just enjoyed it and then in february i think it was february yeah that we were down on carmen island and that was a bow hunt and it was like it was a completely different experience yeah um 
I wouldn't say better or worse, uh, but different. And man, I, you know, you're on an island and it's, it, you have the whole island to yourself. And I think, I don't remember how big the island is, but it was big enough that you never felt like uh, you could get to it all. And we certainly did not. And, um, but no one else on the island. So it's really private and you're, you know, in the, in the Sea of Cortez. Wow. Great food beautiful we had a great group well the too. resort you guys were staying or not resort but the lodge you guys were staying in was it was an old salt mining encampment really yeah and so it had a lot of historical um value to value it. to it and yeah we really enjoyed that part of it too you know just um just to be there and and again it was it was uh there were two couples and then we had um lance Cronenberger from uh freelance adventures who was sort of our host and then uh, Brendan Burns from Kuyu, he was there on the mission to his finish 14 year quest, his 14 year quest <laughs> to finish his archery slam, which he did in fact do. And it was super cool. Yeah. 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 Drawing some shade at Burns. I mean, that was just when he sent me the pictures and realizing and having I've known Burns for five years now. So having known him and knowing his passion and drive for sheep hunting and where it's taken him and where he's got to to watch him complete his grand slam with his bow was you know it it it, it's funny because i've been in the hunting industry in some way shape or form since 1994 Mm -hmm. and um and i think you know you may have a perception about what that what that accomplishment would would feel like for some people i think it would be a box that they checked and what I what I quickly figured out for Brendan, it was a it was a lifelong mission, and it was emotional. And um, well, kind of had him. It, I mean, I, I don't want to say shook, but it had him a little bit shook going he, into it. Like, he was inside. He was cooking in his own kitchen for yeah, sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, n- not to the point where I would say that he wasn't, you know, typical, present. Yeah, typical Brendan Burns, apex predator. <laughs> like I would not want that guy hunting me. Right. That's, I say that often. <laughs> But he's a pretty intense dude, just like no matter you know, the way you do one thing is sort of the way you do everything. I think there's some truth in that saying. And and I would say that it holds true for Bur- for Burns, for sure. For Brendan, he attacks things with great sagacity. Mm-hmm. And he um, but he puts a lot of pressure on himself, too. So if things don't go absolutely perfect internally, uh, he does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He holds yeah. himself to a really high standard. He has to. I think so, too. Comes yeah. with the territory. I, I think that that's what makes him such an amazing competitive athlete and the way that he competes against himself yeah he and and everyone else and everyone else (laughs) definitely like i think he competes at everything Mm -hmm. i mean he's the fastest eater i know too so i mean we witnessed that (laughs) firsthand was that not unbelievable (laughs) unbelievable (laughs) so yeah i'm gonna be careful i don't want to get after him too much he's you know um i hunted i've hunted my whole life and 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 bow hunted an awful lot and worked in the archery industry to begin with but you know i've never really had an interest in in sheep hunting and i think a lot of that was because i just kind of viewed it i grew up on a farm i'm super practical i I think that's sort of a testament to the way i grew up uh in pennsylvania on a small farm so and sheep hunting seemed un unreachable it's the untangible pinnacle of hunting it really is it's tip of the spear top of the mountain stuff right and so um 
But I got to go on my first sheep hunt with Brendan Burns. And if you go... Um, and what sheep was that for? That was the uh, Rocky Mountain Bighorn. Yeah. And um, if you go sheep hunting with Brendan Burns, you leave changed because of his passion for sheep. Mm-hmm. And his knowledge. It's unbelievable. He His his dear friends, and, and obviously I think we... Whether or not he does or not is irrelevant. We count ourselves among those. Mm-hmm. Um, we refer <laughs> we refer to him as Sheep Three PO, yeah. because of the just random facts, like of who shot what ram and what year and where it was shot. I mean, he just knows things that you couldn't know without having studied. Being immersed in the culture for a very long time. I- immersed. That's his one hundred percent. Yeah, he's a he's the real genuine article when it comes to sheep. And I think when you look at everything he does, um, sheep benefit. Certainly he hunts them. It could be argued, well, they don't benefit from that. But by the fact that he hunts sheep, he's launched conservation programs, created, helped create companies and commerce. And been really successful at doing it. Every time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all the way back to when, you know, he was on team Sitka running running as a Sitka athlete that's correct you know like way way back that's right you know you know um he's one of the visionaries to understand the importance of what the guides and outfitters mean to the the uh industry and the sport of hunting well not only to the industry and the sport but also to the individual hunter themselves it's and the experience that's being brought to each individual that's booking a hunt and the correlation and relationship that goes inside of that that's right that's yeah. right that's well said he um man we're talking about brendan we're we doing we doing a brendan burns podcast <laughs> dude we're, he's You're not going on a tangent through, he's not going to fit through the door <laughs> well you know he's not perfect either so we'll just leave it there <laughs> so you said that 1994 was kind of your door kicking in getting into the hunting industry uh, getting into the outdoor space mm-hmm. in your career, which has been an enormous part of your entire life mm-hmm. and your career path, getting to where you are today. Um, and you said you'd grown you'd grown up on a farm in PA. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, when you were growing up, um, did did you go to college and I did. do the full gamut? Okay, yep. so when you were growing up and pivoted into college, came out of college, and decided to start your journey into the outdoor space what was that like where did you come to the conclusion that i want to get into the outdoor space and the hunting world um you know i think like most uh early 20 somethings uh i i did not have a plan for me to say that it was some well-crafted mission no it was not (laughs) at all um it was actually um I think everybody who hunts has a bit of a horse trader uh, mentality. Mentality, like we we hate paying for things. Like we're traders. We just love that whole thing. At least everyone <laughs> I've fact. met. So um, as crazy as it is, I I had I had had uh, so a, a major knee surgery, and I was stuck in an immobilizer. Um, for the 90s well this was yeah early 90s so what's the recovery time on a knee injury in the 90s oh it was ridiculous i mean it was three months in an immobilizer oh my god so you weren't like bending your knee at all and now 
having had a you know progressed, a knee replacement. Uh, yeah, yeah, all the way to the knee replacement. Well, that's why I bring that up, just because the com- the compare and contrast to that is so. Yeah, I was walking the different. day they put that new knee in. I mean, they make you move, which obviously they've learned that. But but I was stuck in bed, and um, and I had one of the early uh, NEC DOS laptops <laughs> right and i was at the time was super cutting edge but my my mom um had dropped off a bunch of outdoor magazines because she knew i was going to be really bored and i started reading the articles and i was like you know i, I because i hunted a lot and fished a lot in, in pennsylvania and, and even out west and um i had uh, i had done a fly fishing trip on a river called the Topahawken, and it was a trout unlimited sort of reclamation project they had done and it was fantastic what what they had accomplished and, and it's a blue ribbon trout stream or i don't know if it's really a river but a stream a big stream um and those in the south would call it a crick i think <laughs> so uh but anyway it was a fantastic experience and i wrote an article about it and um and and i didn't know about writing a at that time you were supposed to write a query then they accept the query and that meant they commissioned you for an article i just wrote the article and I had pictures that I had taken. It was, you know, a friend of mine and I had gone up there and, and uh, near our, where I grew up and fished. And we had some great pictures. And, and I sold that first article for $3,000. And I, and I thought, man, that, that's crazy. Like, I could write an article and sell it. And people would read it. And I would get paid for that. Because I, I really wrote it because I, uh, I like to write. And I was interested in sharing with people that it would be a cool place to go. And um, anyway, long story short, that turned into, you know, once you get one article published, you're sort of in the fraternity, at least sort of. Mm -hmm. And I got asked to do an article um, on climbing tree stands in Pennsylvania because they were just legalized. But no one really understood the rules for what made one legal on public land as opposed to what made one illegal. And, uh, and it was damage to the Cambian layer of the tree, which is the green layer. And um, Gary Alt came out, and we I got to call all these tree stand companies, which I could go back to the part about being a, you know, a grifter. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call myself one, but <laughs> they gave me these tree stands. You were thrilled. I was stoked. It wasn't even about getting paid. I, I think I ended up with like 120 tree stands out of Holy this thing. Holy shit. Yeah, which was trade for whatever else I could imagine. But I met a guy named Rick Coe in that process and who remains one of my dearest friends. He was a rep, a manufacturer's rep for, uh, for Hoyt. And um, he told me if we got a good report on, from, from the game commission for lock-on tree stands, who he also represented, that he'd get me a Hoyt bow. And a couple years later, I was working at Hoyt. It just, you know, matriculated into that with competitive shooting and writing and doing promotional stuff for them. I got hired there as the VP of sales and marketing and working at Hoyt and Easton was a great experience. It was a great place to grow up as, cause I was such a kid. I was 25 and they put me in charge. Can you imagine someone doing that? Like how poorly advised would risk. that be? <laughs> <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek because, um, they didn't fire me and they kept giving me more responsibility but hopefully more money too they did they easton's a fantastic organization and i never in my career after that never worked for another organization that was so well run it i didn't realize how good i had it 
you know, until you left until I left. Yeah. Cause it was my first corporate job, if you will. Yeah. And you just think, well, this is probably the way it is everywhere. And it's not, no, (laughs) no, it wasn't. It was a struggle actually. And the struggle was real. So, you know, like I didn't win all the time, um, after that, because you realize like all those tools and an ownership, uh, was owned by Jim Easton at the time completely. And he liked to win as bad as anybody. And everybody that worked for Jim liked to win. And um, and so it was a great place to work and learn about what a real company should look like. Well, I remember Easton Arrows back in the day, you know, shooting the aluminum shaft. They're about as big around as a crayon old arrows. Those are, you know, iconic in my mind of growing up in archery and, and shooting a bow. You know... Um, it's funny. We bought Beam and Arrow Company out of Lyon, France, which was the original Carbon Arrow Company, as I recall. Mm-hmm. It was certainly the original major player, if you would, in that category. And Jim's greatest strength, like all of us, was probably his greatest weakness. He invented the aluminum arrow, as well as the aluminum baseball bat and the aluminum hockey stick. He was a very amazing engineer and businessman. Really? I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. He was a, a just Eastern a, bats, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all, all the same company. I never even thought about that. Yeah. That's and, wild. But it was his limitation because when you invented the aluminum arrow and then you owned the carbon arrow competitor, he struggled with letting it win. And um, He struggled with letting the, the carbon, carbon arrow win. win. Yeah. Because. I think he bought it to limit it. Mm-hmm. And, and man, I'm speaking for him. I hate doing that. Um, there's probably somebody down there at Easton that will hear this and think, that's not it at all but that was my perception so it gets to be my true yeah. my truth um and i worked in the aero division on uh, brand beeman as well and and there was times where it felt that way it was being limited and all that really did was create an opportunity i think for this just explosion of other carbon aero companies because the truth be told it, it was a great product and it was yeah. indestructible well, i remember when the fmj first came out and that to me was the bee's knees for you know the crossover and everything that i was getting the results that i was getting out of you know that narrow of an arrow the penetration everything blew my mind it was revolutionary the early folks in the carbon arrow business um the marketers were they they were guerrilla warfare right yeah easton was 99 percent of the arrow market holy shit they were behemoth they owned the distribution channels they controlled or i'll say controlled would be the wrong word but they had a lot of influence certainly over um every aspect of the market publications the trade shows everything and you'd think well like that's a pretty big hill to climb if you're going to try to take market share away from a dynamic like that as a carbon arrow company and it was cool because it was like the Wild West, you know, the people that popping up out of anywhere. Because, you know, to, to build a carbon arrow isn't a tremendously difficult thing to do. Um, and so, you know, perseverance in the American dream and that whole way of just getting out and understanding what your consumer really wants and then tailoring your message and your product to those things. Um, it was a story on, on how effective that is. Um, I, I don't remember who told me somewhere along the line in my travels and one of my mentors told me that the dollar always seeks its best employment 
and and that's sort of the foundation of capitalism and i think that's a super true comment right mm -hmm. and um you can want to not see things change and you can be a big company and resist change but at the end of the day if a product works better and it meets the needs of the intended target audience it's going to win yeah and it did well, the carbon arrow business is different today well and and this is just the compare and contrast that's going on in my head right now is like you can look at old and new right we're going to go to digital age now and we're going to go into social media and you can look at facebook and facebook acquiring instagram and any other new social media platform that gets developed that's halfway decent a company like Facebook or whoever will come in and buy it and prevent it from growing or becoming better than their own just because they want to see theirs succeed over anybody else. But what that does is that creates, especially with Americans and all of us, creates a drive and a passion for making a better product and surpassing them you know, whether it be five or 10 years down the line, but it creates that, that drive, that challenge in us as free thinkers to do better. And it, listening to you talk about the aero industry. It's true of every industry. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It definitely is. It would, I think that's, um, that was the power of working at Hoyt. Okay. It, it's not as big a, I mean, industry wise, it's not a huge industry. But they're a big part of that of the archery business certainly and um i got to work with randy walk there who i would say um most people equate to being a really terrific engineer and he is by all means he's you know i think that's the only job he ever had was at hoyt he started in bow assembly or sweeping floors depending on how bad he's trying to make it sound and i say that tongue-in-cheek <laughs> but it's it's true i mean he literally didn't put in, and worked his way through college and engineering and then became a great engineer but he had a philosophy that um, we were going to obsolete ourselves every year and if we obsoleted ourselves every year no one else could and we could maintain our market position and his philosophy, I think, has proven more true um, than maybe the approach that we took towards the Carbon Arrow or Beeman. How's that? Mm -hmm. Because Hoyt certainly isn't the only bow company, um, but they're certainly one of the top one or two every year. Yeah, Hoyt and Matthews yeah, is about it. I would, I would say that's true. And <coughs> certainly there's been many come and go, and some of, you know, maybe maybe they'll have a year or two where they have something interesting and new, but consistently over the last, since since the 90s, I, I think Hoyt would say, uh, it would be impossible to not say that they make and have remained in a, in a number one or two position every single year. Yeah. And so the, I, I think that's the way you run a business, honestly. Well, and then, this year, and, and maybe it was prior to this year, but this year, the release of the RX-7. Yeah. You know, and, and getting out to shoot it. I've always been uh, anti-Hoyt just because of the amount of reverb in the hand, you know. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a dead-in-the-hand bow in that RX-7 this year that came out. I had the opportunity to get out there and shoot it, and I switched over to Hoyt because they've created a bow you know their innovation has never rested they've continued to carry on and go further and further every single year 
and now I'm shooting a bow that's dead in the hand, and I absolutely love it. You know, it's funny. Um, bows are sort of like shoes and gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that um, it's easy to get like the first fifty or sixty percent of it, where you can say, well, everybody agrees on this. Um, but the last 30, 40 or fifty percent, depending on 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 how that works out, based on the topic or or product, that's that's where you get you know, a little more challenged and mm-hmm. you're, you're always trying to sort of make concessions like, well, is this in the hierarchy of need? Is this feature more or less important than some this, other one? Right. Than speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I would suggest that, um, that's true. Again, it, it was a great microcosm for how to run a business. I've been in businesses inside and outside of the archery business, certainly. And, um, I did turnarounds in my career and for whatever reason, all the turnarounds work that I've done has been in firearms. Um, and the truth be told, very little of what I learned in college, a fair amount of what I learned growing up on a farm, because it's, it's economics. I mean, if you can be a farmer today, you're a phenomenal business person. And I would say a phenomenal generalist, because you have to be good at everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then specifically, my experience at Easton has informed probably more than any other influence um, the way I do business or the way I think business is done correctly, mm-hmm. maybe better said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also shows a lot with a lot of the folks that you surround yourself. I'm fairly familiar with a number of them and getting to hear from all of them on a constant basis how amazing you've been able to treat them and provide for them as an employer and, you know, do wonderful things is, you know, that, that speaks exactly to what you're talking about and it speaks through other people's experience. It's not just you talking, you know what I mean? Which that's phenomenal. That's, you know, (laughs) you're embarrassing me. I'm not trying to, you know, but it's, it's true, you know, and, and, and across the board, I mean, I mean, you know, I travel all over the place and get to talk to people and know a lot of folks and, you know, we've run into a lot of the same folks and the amount of great things that I always get to hear about Jeff Jeff Edwards is, you know, it's, there's a lot of good things and, and it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of what you learned working from working with Hoyt and at Hoyt are things that you've been able to carry on through the remainder of your life and now return the favor where you are no longer the employee. Now you're the owner and you're getting to do those same things for the people that are helping you build your companies and your brands. You know, I, um, I thank you for saying all of that. That's a kind thing to say. Um, and, and, um, and I feel blessed. I, and I, I don't know how else to put it than that. I, <laughs> I get to get up every day and do meaningful things in in a, in a vocation that I love. And it positively impact people's lives and the outcome of their lives. I think that's where my faith, um, which hasn't always been as big a part of my life as it is now, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that I've been a crisis Christian for most of my life, right? <laughs> yeah, and I get like, it. oh my God, things totally are terrible. God help me. <laughs> um, and uh, and and I'm I'm actually working on a book right now, mm-hmm. and um and I haven't really talked about it to anybody, but I guess I just told everybody, but, um, <laughs> or at least everybody listening, right? Yeah. Um, and and the foundation of it is, um, I think Christ 
gives us great example, obviously, for how to live our lives. And, and certainly, I, I don't mean to push this on everybody. This is my, my journey. Yeah, right? this is your journey. It's fine. But, um, you know, he asked 12 people to come ride for the brand. And that really, when I think about it, and, and I probably view everything through the lens of my experiences like we all do, and he asked 12 people to come ride for the brand. And, and he, uh, he told them the story about how horrific their earthly experience was going to be if they decided to do that. Um, but they were so committed um, to the brand, and really they were committed to him. And, um, and they were committed to him because they understood just how committed he was to them. And, um, and I think that I hope, um, that I can shine a light on what he did and how he did it, um, by, by the way he's, in, uh, informed me. Mm-hmm. I think that's our Leading job. Leading by example. Or just being a great light. You know, I don't cr- I don't climb up on the white horse anymore. The big white horse. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? But I, I got to imagine there's probably years where, oh. you know, in order to get to the point where you're at now, it's, yeah, yeah <laughs> was, I was pretty, that's just part of the human condition and process. If, if I could go back and speak to the 25 year old kid who was the executive vice president at Hoyt and honestly thought that he had hit his pinnacle in life. And, and, and in a lot of ways for a 25 year old, I I would suggest based on my aspirations I had, um, but I didn't win pretty, you know what I mean by that? I was probably hard to be around. Um, and, and I thought it was me. And, um, and I imagine that, uh, there's many times where God shook his head and waited for me to realize it was him. And so if, if humbling, I, huh? uh, yeah, for sure. Life has been humbling. Yeah. It hasn't, you know, it's funny when you get to my age, I'm 53, almost 54. Um, it's just amazing perspective, uh, that you get to have at this age about what really does matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the famous line in every hunting sequence um, where they, they, you know, somebody's successful and they're, and they always say the same, this is what it's all about. And and I always think to myself like, wow, that's not really what it's all about. (laughs) It's about um, our journey to becoming the best person that we can be um, in servitude to, um, to our, to our creator. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like it's a really simple journey and it's, it's fun when you're 53 and all of that noise goes away and you realize that it's just that simple. Like, well, it, 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 and, a, and a way that it was put to me, and this is in my twenties going through sobriety, uh, is the sound that the world makes when our head pops out of our own ass is almost unbearable. It's to deafening. The point. It's deafening to the point where it humbles us and presents us the opportunity to look around, reassess, and re-engage in a better way of life. Well, I'd say you, um, you have a way, Andy, um, <laughs> about you that that attracts people. You know what I mean? Like I appreciate that. Your, Thank you. Your kindness, and um, and you hadn't told me that about your journey, mm-hmm. um, but I felt it. You know, I, I did when I met you, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's sort of like. Um, I'm not a cop and never was, but I have a lot of friends who are <laughs> and, um, and they know when they meet another cop, yeah. they just know. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I've been, I was, I, I was, 
surrounded by alcoholism and drug abuse. I fortunately didn't myself. Um, it wasn't how I chose to treat my problem. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably true of most people who suffer that mm -hmm. is that's just their choice for how they deal with their issues that they, they're facing. But, but I know what it looks like, sisters, brothers, dads, you know, yeah. all around me. So, um, I knew we were, we were probably, um, we were blood brothers before we knew why <laughs> um, I felt something there. Yeah. And, um, and it's amazing. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. But I, I think what's cool is, uh, from the ashes rise a Phoenix, mm -hmm. right? Like from our lowest points in life, um, we get to really realize, um, what our core, uh, interests and, 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 uh, talents and interests and all those things that kind of bundle together and you just cook it down to its most basic level. And when you stay authentic to that, mm -hmm. it's amazing how effective we are. Well, and, and I always, I like to say, you know, our, our troubles are terrible times and everything in between that is what lays down the foundation and the bedrock of who we are as people. And it's how we choose to, thrive after laying that base what really defines us as human beings you know amen um isn't it true like when you're I, I get this a lot it's like um hey jeff you've been blessed and and that's true i have been i think we all are so it's easy when you've been blessed financially to be so easy and happy and helpful to people mm -hmm. But when you were struggling, it wasn't that easy. And, and it's funny because, it, like, I would say it just a slightly different way. When I'm not helping people, it's not easy. 100%. As soon as I started to help people, I got, got goosebumps easy. from you saying that. Yeah. Like, 100%. And that, for me, is something that I've found so much in my life. Is, And I, I speak a lot in I statements because... It's your experience. Yeah, I talk, you know what I mean? Um when I am being selfless and when I am out trying to pack more into the stream of life than what I'm taking out of it and what I'm taking away from it, I'm genuinely always happier. I'm genuinely always a better person. And I'm more often than not my most authentic self and selflessness, you know, and we can get back into, well, I think we're about to, I, have, I think there's a perfect segue here. Yeah. You know, like that, to me, that's what life is all about. That's what loving thy neighbor is all about. That's, feels so good, doesn't it? It does, 100%. You know, and, and to your point of, of <clears throat> you were talking about, you know, when times maybe not have been as good financially or anything like that. And the, the more that I find that I'm willing to just go with it, and continue to be selfless and continue down that path, the more ease and the better off I am because God sees fit to put in my life what I need instead of me wanting and trying to grab. You know what I mean? Or manufacture it. Or manufacture yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think that, um, I don't know what our topic our, our our topic was today, Andy, but it this one seems like it's resonating with us. Yeah. So hopefully it does with some. If it affects one person, I'm glad we did it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's 
it's amazing to me how hard people will work um, to get something. And the statement that some of our greatest prayers have been answered by not getting what we ask for, right? Like, man, if I could just get this deal, if I could just figure out this problem, and they've caused reroutes in my life that I was super frustrated and maybe even resentful for. Mm -hmm. But then in the end, you end up right where you're supposed to be. And, and, um, and it's, it's just, it's harmony. I think, right. Uh, happiness, people chase happiness and happiness comes in little flashes and they're generally about an event. They're maybe they're about a thing. Um, but joy joy's like a slow burn right that's a locust log yeah it's like a slow burn it's like hey um a good example is and you and i have talked about it probably one of my proudest moments has been serving the folks that run the day-to-day operations for good days recovery we have sober living homes and the we don't I, like Jeff doesn't do that. I don't have street cred. Like I don't like, right? Like, yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't, I can't do that work. Um, so instead of trying to like tell them how to do their job, I listen to them, tell me how they do their job and what they need to do it. And my family, um, my wife, myself and my kids, we, and, and my brother and his family, I don't want to leave them out. Geez, they, they've done a lot too. Um, we just do everything we can, can to get them the resources they say they need and clap. Like, hey, man, like, wouldn't it be cool if every time you accomplish something that was life-changing, somebody was there to acknowledge it and gave you a little bit of applause? <laughs> like, I, like, there's been a couple times in my life where I was like, man, I did some good stuff there. I wish somebody would notice it. Um, and maybe that's my ego need. But for the people that do that work at, at uh, Good Days, they're saving lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like what more noble cause could there possibly be? Well, and especially this day and age and the problems that we have in society with drug addiction and alcoholism and the neglect, I think, that goes into that, you know, is is paramount. As someone who's been through sober living, through the sober living system, you know, since I was shit probably 13 years old is my first time i went into any sort of drug rehabilitation counseling you know what i mean and yeah yeah, you know what i mean and and the things that i learned and picked up along the way that were able to shape and develop the human that i am today is is intrinsic to how i get to live my life you know And, and when i remember when you first told me you were you were you know, you, you helped out with sober living environments and all that kind of stuff. Like I took a step back. I mean, I was sitting in a car, so there wasn't really a legitimate step back to take, but, and I just listened to what you were telling me and, and heard what you were saying about your family and you guys showing up and cooking Thanksgiving dinners and, and being present for the holidays and chipping in and helping out. And the amount that that can help any individual, whether you guys know it or not, I'm going to get fucking emotional. Shit. Don't do it, Andy. Uh, the amount that that can help any individual that's gone through any 
serious neglect in their life, whether you guys knew it at the time or the impact that that can have on someone who's struggling with sobriety and with drug addiction and alcoholism is, is paramount to the rest of their life and will dictate and can, I shouldn't say will, but, and can help dictate their path to maintain sobriety, you know, and, and you're saying even if it helps one person, you know, like for me, I've been sober 17 years and I fought the fight and I know the trenches of the fucking battles, like, Mm -hmm. like the back of my hand and it's acts of service like that, that change people's lives forever. And, you know, one person I've been sober 17 years, it's acts like that that has changed my life and helped me maintain sobriety for 17 years, obviously with the help of a power greater than myself who I choose to call God. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, that's just that in the car, that was everything that, that was processing through my head when you were, when you were mentioning that, because I know, I know I've been in those trenches. I've been in that battle. I've watched my family struggle not knowing how to deal with an alcoholic child and a drug addicted child that has no remorse and no fucks given for anything or anybody that's happening other than my own need of an addiction and uh, how much nurturing can help. You know, uh, thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I, I think that um, I don't spend a lot of time trying to account for that. I don't. And, um, but it feels good to hear it. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that it doesn't because <laughs> it does. feels good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think what feels really good, though, is um, I, I think a lot of you, I have a tremendous respect for the hustle mm-hmm. that you, you have. And, and I don't mean that in a negative context. No, I, mean I get the positive. Yeah. Like, like if, you're, if you're working and you're successful, it's because you've worked hard and, and hustled. And I don't mean misrepresenting things. I mean working hard. Mm-hmm. And you do. You work hard. And um, and I'm, I got to know you uh, originally through I think it was YouTube and Brendan. Yeah. I hadn't met you. Um, and so I had a, a respect for this whole flip flop phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know who you were. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, now I understand why. There's more of a why for your success because. Um, and don't take that as a shot at any of the other. I don't. The sauce is amazing. Yeah, the I don't process take it personally is cool. at all. Yeah. But, but you're the juice, right? Big Al probably knows that too. <laughs> I, I'll bet. He does. Uh, you're the juice. Yeah. You're, you're the light, and, uh, and you've got the moths coming to the light because they get a lot more than good meat when they come hang out with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Oh, for sure. That's a huge compliment. Thank well, you. Well, it's the truth. Yeah. 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 So... Here servitude <laughs> servitude <laughs> so you know i i um i don't do podcasts i've done um one podcast before well you were you were a little bit hesitant and yeah. you know the three or four times i approached you about doing a podcast and i and you're like well what are we going to talk about and i'm like we're just going to let it flow it scares me because i know like i'm not a super interesting person um i don't have some like although you are but continue um and well, reminding myself of that um, is what keeps me from climbing up on the big white horse. And when you don't climb up on it, you don't have to worry about getting knocked off of it. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> it's hitting the ground that sucks. Yeah. I just try to keep my feet there. Um, but but I had a um, 
what I think is a noble cause, which w- would serve my agenda for why I wanted to do this, mm-hmm. aside from getting to hang out with you, which is fine, <laughs> right? Um, we started a brand of coffee, and everybody's probably rolling their eyes right now. We're like, wow, another one, just what we need. Um, but this is a There's little, a lot more to it than just being a brand of coffee, though. I, th- thank you. Um, because if I say it, it doesn't seem sincere, right? Because, of course, I have a reason to say it. Um, but um, there was a couple of us sitting around a campfire early morning somewhere in Unicleet, Alaska. And Unically. What a nice name. Yeah, right? Super yeah. sweet. Cool place, by the way. Just harsh. Just not the kind of place you want to be able to, like, I live in Unicleet. Would never come out of my mouth. This was on a grizz hunt, if I remember and correctly. Moose. Yeah, grizz and moose. Yeah. Yep. And um, so we were... Well, the conversation started in Kodiak, but it culminated in Unicleet. Um, and, um, and so we were, we were opening up sticks of instant coffee from Starbucks. And to be honest, it really pissed us off. We we're like, man, they make great coffee, but we hate their politics. Mm-hmm. And they, haven't, they couldn't have done a more effective job of letting us know who they are who they are and that they didn't value us at all as a customer. Mm -hmm. And here we were still buying their product. And I think the left has done a really good job of voting with their dollars. Economically, they support companies that support their cause. But as business people and kind souls, I think that largely conservatives and the right side of the aisle is, um, and certainly there's exceptions, but I think by and large, you know, that's who we are. Um, we tend to just be too busy to worry about it because we're too hard making tax dollars. Yeah. We're too busy supporting the left. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. That's not all of them. It's not all of them. Certainly there's a lot of really hard working people. I love it. (laughs) Um, But the truth is, it's like, Hey, you know, what if we came out with, what if we came up with our own really good coffee, instant, a K cup, a ground and a whole bean that supported our lifestyle forget about um not feeling like we've been victimized a little bit by starbucks um and they had like that should be a hunting brand right starbucks yeah and they just a bunch of hair buns and man buns man buns man these guys are just i mean whatever so we were like we could do something about it or we could just keep bitching about it and um i said well i'm going to do something about it and uh, and i have a, a have a group of mercenaries that i work with i don't know how else to call them than that for sure they're super talented people and they've been collected along the way through you know my journey in the outdoor industry and they're they're like my 12 disciples right they're like i come up with some crazy idea and they're like i'm in i'm like well i didn't even tell you what it was yet but blind faith like servitude they get all those things and i say we get that that's that's our group um, so I explained to them the what and the why, and they were like, let us show you the how. And so we spent, I don't know, a fair amount of time, a long time, much longer than it should have taken, you know, this whole COVID, you know, disruption in supply channel and people not really working that hard. At least some people weren't, um, challenged us and, and it was a lot to overcome. And, uh, but in the end, what we found is. Our, we sort of set a benchmark. We were like, okay, if our stick of instant coffee has to be as good or better. So we hired the world's foremost sommelier for coffee. And we were like, like 
we're subjective, I assume, right? Like we think we know what we like, pardon me. But this, this person should really be knows. an authority, right? Yeah. Well, they helped us, and it was amazing. To, I, I learned way more about coffee than I ever thought I'd know. Because, <laughs> like, coffee to me is in, an imperative, but I'm not a hipster, you know? Like, my life isn't coffee. I'm not going to try to pretend that it is. My life, though, is hunting and conservation and, you know, and servitude. So when I think about it in that context, I said, like, let's create a company that reflects that, that those core beliefs. And so what we did, we do, is we, we created the best coffee in the world. And I know that's a big statement. But we hired some of the best people to help us make that, dis- to make that distinction. And then secondly, we take 20% of the profit and we give it to conservation. And specifically, what we've done so far, um, before we sold our first coffee bean, um, we partnered with Kuyu and Leupold on a project with Conservation Direct, which is led by Mr. Burns. Like, it's, we're tying all this together. God's plan's amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, led by Mr. Burns, where we replaced the entire relocation transplant budget for the state of Arizona's Game and Fish Department for Desert Bighorn and Bighorn Sheep in the state of Arizona. Um, it was a significant contribution, but again, it was about the servitude of it Everybody talks about like, oh, we're going to give such and such to conservation. And what my folks, my, my little team of mercenaries, our, our group of, of 12 disciples said was, let's spend the money before we make it. Let's, let's provide a living example as a company of being invested. Of what it looks like. Yeah, like, hey, guys, we wrote a real check and we hadn't even sold our first coffee bean yet. And that was everybody digging into their pocket um, to throw the money in the hat and and for everything they put in, I matched it. And so as a company, we're, we're connected to it. And then additional to that, we went, uh, to Arizona with, uh, Brendan and his, his team uh, from Kuyu and, and the folks from, uh, Bruce and the folks from Leupold. And we participated in this transplant, which, which you were there for, for, for me, and I, and I would pull Brendan aside during part of this, and I was like, it is so cool watching you and your daughter working together, carrying sheep back from the helicopter to the table, making sure the temperature is correct, you know, pouring water, drawing blood, doing the swabs and everything. And, and I was just sharing with Burns, because I remember on the first uh, Conservation Direct project, watching it was little kids and you know uh burns had lucas with him mm-hmm. and uh rally had his son with him and just getting to watch that dynamic for me is such a highlight of what conservation direct and wild society and along with leopold brought together to that project you know and and getting to see the full immersiveness that's happening the enjoyment you know, and, and now knowing, you know, you're a sheep hunter, you are going out and hunting sheep. And when it comes to putting sheep back, you've already contributed more. well more than just putting one sheep back. You, you've contributed to an entire state's budget and helping them fund and rebuild their sheep program. It, it, it's super cool um, to be in a place um, to be able to do that and not be reckless by doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, you mentioned my daughter and that was Madison, my middle, my middle daughter. I have three daughters and, um, house full of women. Gotta love it. I, I was, I've been outvoted. Um, <laughs> it's been a blessing. Yeah. Um, a year previous to her being on the transplant with us, she was working in the fashion industry in downtown Los Angeles. And it's an interesting place. I've been in there. Yeah. I mean, the reason I say that is, is she was so far away from anything resembling hunting, conservation. Um, and I would say that uh, her distance away was probably representative of the distance between us too, right? Um, love was always there, but um, we just didn't see the world the same way. Yeah. Um, and then COVID hit. And um, she came to visit, and it's been uh, really cool to see her open her mind. And um, the fashion industry is not a place of great servitude, right? Not at all. Um, and so she's really gone from someone who was uh, difficult to connect inside of our company she and I all have always been very close, but she's now, you know, she runs our uh, family business in the, the Spotted Bear Ranch up in the Bob Marshall, and she she runs that business, and she does such a phenomenal job with it. Um, she she does, a, you know, that transplant changed her life. She she understood now why we do it. Yeah, like she she thought it was about the grip and the grin, and which has been portrayed so thoroughly by HSUS and all the organizations that are anti-hunting that yeah. this is what it's about, not this. Right. She's got a golden retriever puppy and she's training him and she went waterfowl hunting this year and she's got a deer and elk combo tag for the state of Montana. And if you'd have told her before that, that uh, effort that was put forth um, for the transplant, that, that that would ever happen, I would promise you she would tell you you were very wrong. <laughs> Um, but you were also a contributor. I think you know that she participated in one of the flip-flops mm -hmm. that you put on for us. And um, she just you know, loved it, thought yeah. it was amazing. Um, she resonates what really sort of, and I don't want to speak for her. She's not here, but in our conversations, what resonates with her. Um, there's a quote on our website, and I'll paraphrase it because I can never remember it specifically, but um, that's part of being in the 50s, I think. <laughs> but, uh, Getting old. <laughs> yeah. Is, is like the new, the new version of a hunter is that we have to put more in than we take out, right? Mm -hmm. And that seems so common sense, I think. Um, so when you understand the impact of excise dollars, excise tax dollars, excuse me, and missions like the Wild Sheep Foundation, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and Trout Unlimited, and on and on and on. There's a lot of people working at it. Um, and then I think, you know, Brendan's initiative with Conservation Direct is certainly a wholly different take on if you want to do some of it by getting your hands dirty and opening your wallet and giving it to the people who need it to do the really good work like the Division of Wildlife down there in Arizona does. They're doing the Lord's work too. One hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. That was my big pitch. How how was my pitch for Wild Society Coffee? Do you I mean, think? something that I love, and it's and it's exactly what you were talking about. Before you guys even sold your first bean, 
you're already contributing to con conservation. And not only are you contributing to conservation, you're not contributing to a 501. You're not contributing to a place that says they're going to take action. You're contributing to something that is direct action and direct results. And as a contributor, you are there, boots on the ground, participating in the event 100%. Yep. And that, to me, is the change. And that also is, is the direction that I see conservation going. And not, not just for Kuyu, but I think that Kuyu set a precedent, as it has historically done all the way since inception, set a precedent that this is conservation. This is how we, as hunters, will be doing conservation from here out. And it will, I don't want to say force, but it will uh, antagonize other brands to start visibly doing the same thing. You know, and as Brendan has said, it's, call me. I'll tell you how to do it. I don't have to be there. This is for anyone to fucking jump on board and, yeah. and start getting it done. Like, you know, I'll, I'll help in whatever way you need, and I'm not worried about the rest. And for you guys to come to Inception, obviously you are a for-profit business, but to say 20% of everything we make every year is going directly into conservation and preservation of wildlife and the species. That's huge. I think so. I hope so. That was our intent. Um, you know, I, I think one... Brendan and I agree on a lot of things. Let me say that. Mm -hmm. I will say that we don't always agree, though. Mm -hmm. um, and when we disagree, it's typically because he's wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I think what he's done with Conservation Direct is one of the most amazing initiatives that I've ever seen anybody come up with. So let me say that first. Yeah. But it's not like either or, right? There's been a lot of infrastructure that's been of benefit to hunters and conservation that's been created through organizations. Um, and I'm not suggesting he doesn't feel that way. I, I don't, um, but he's a very competitive guy too, and he wants to drive. And I think, you know, being a disruptor, and he's been a disruptor, whether it's been at Sitka, Kuyu, or Conservation Direct, um, he's been a disruptor in the status quo, and, and he's good at that. Um, but I think if you look at it and you be, and if you remain objective, you know this is like, Kuyu has been hugely successful. It doesn't mean nobody's buying clothing or apparel from a bricks and mortar retail store anymore. And the point I'm trying to get to is there's room for both because there's room for everyone. If you resonate with what Conservation Direct does and you have the time and inclination, then come join, come join us or, or create your own, but do real stuff and do it the right way, the way he does it. Um, if you don't have the time, the physical ability, um, then support one of the organizations because something is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think in this instance there's competition or there should be between organizations and conservation direct. That's my personal opinion. I don't get a vote, but that's how I feel about it. I want to support everybody. Anybody who's endeavoring to make a difference, to put wild creatures back in wild places, we want to work with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I, so we started with Conservation Direct, and we'll stay with them. But we're going to do more. We want to do more. 
And so if somebody hears this and they have something that they think would make sense, pitch, com- it. pitch it to us. Yeah. Call us. Look us up. Because we're all ears. We're, we, we just want to we want a business that's self-sustaining that gives greatly to wildlife and wild places in the end that would be would be an amazing legacy i think i agree 100 percent. so on your guys's trip in Euclid, unically unically thank you uh and you guys kind of came up with the conception for the company and the brand mm-hmm. and you talked a little bit about the process and finding people that were very well versed with coffee and mm-hmm. developed it, developed the best bean that you possibly could for what your what your intentions are. How has that been in transition? Obviously, coming through COVID and getting the coffee in and and all of that kind of stuff. Building the brand, how has that process been for you? Is is there like tedious days of it where it's just like, oh fuck, more <laughs> problems or like. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you're making your mark, and you guys are setting the bar very high, uh, which I appreciate. You're you're be, you're becoming a disruptor in way of what you're putting out there and and what you're willing to chop off of your piece of the pie in order for conservation. Um, so, what what have been some of the difficulties in in developing that and coming out with that? for you guys Uh, that's a big question um well you know man you you ask a great question because you've lived it i've lived it that's right yeah that's the only reason why i have good questions (laughs) yeah probably isn't that right yeah like wisdom is the benefit of age um but it's also the result of bad experience and um and so you know i would say you know we don't just do wild society coffee and and um well your umbrella for strike is is enormous comparatively i would agree comparatively now it's a tiny little dot on an elephant an elephant's ass compared to some of the companies that are out there so it's you know it's relative Mm -hmm. but um and i think from the beginning one of the things that we continue to tell ourselves is like hey we have real work right now right and we knew we needed to flex up with some additional talent and god brings to you things that crazy times and we had you know some folks come to us when we most needed them and we didn't know it so that's been good but we have this axiom it's like let's not be the mechanic whose car doesn't run you know they're so busy working on everybody else's car they get done at the end of the day and the last thing they want to do is turn a wrench on their own <laughs> right yeah but it, like it pains them the thought of paying somebody else to do it so it's like i'm going to do that tomorrow And so when we developed this brand internally, um, that was the dynamic of that from the beginning, I I was just like, let's not do that. And, and we, we haven't, I mean, I I think it's because when you, when you understand your biggest challenge and you verbalize it and you write it down and everybody sort of acknowledges it, you can manage it that way. Ignoring it is where you get in trouble. So we started out that way and it was like, hey, we have regular structured meetings. We have to-do lists. You know, this the normal flow of business um, that you would in any other business. And we've done that with this. The challenges, honestly, were external. And, and they were what we talked about earlier, which was, you know, we started all this in the midst of COVID. 
you know, if somebody would come to you and be like, hey, you know, when would be the best time to start a new coffee brand? <laughs> be like, well, probably not right during COVID. Or a new sauce brand. There you go, my <laughs> flip-flopping friend. Um, yeah, you've, you've, you so get it because you've, you're living it too. Um, which, by the way, we haven't done a very good job of talking about your, your, your... I mean, maybe you do. I doubt it. You're probably suffering a little bit of like the mechanic who doesn't work on his own car. Your podcast is amazing. Thanks. I appreciate that. And, and you've come in and done a fantastic job of helping shine a light on what we're up to. Um, but you were there for the sheep transplant, as I recall. Mm -hmm. Right. And you serve a lot of folks because I'm, and we were both at John Bartolo's event. Mm -hmm. Um, his, his passing was, um, something that, uh, I think took us all by surprise. Yeah. But, shook a lot of people yeah for sure he was a young 41 year old guy with a new baby and a beautiful girlfriend and and a wonderful life uh, that he'd worked hard to earn right mm -hmm. grinding it out man and you served john that was your friendship with him was real yeah um but i guess the point to all of that is you're doing amazing work at the same time with what you're doing on on the flip-flop sauces and uh, rubs and all kinds of crazy things and and uh and cool stuff and it's really good I mean, if you come to my house, it's in my cupboard, right? <laughs> like, I don't think there's a better compliment than saying, hey, look, like, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm, a, I'm I, like, I ride for the flip-flop brand, too. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. And it's not just because I think you're a cool guy. It's because it's great stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I want to miss that. Like, you're, you're being a great servant. Thank you for helping us get our message out. But, yeah. man, we don't want to miss yours either. Oh, man, mine's... You know, it's just going to take care of itself, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's what's been interesting for me in the growth of the flip-flop in the last five years has been watching the people that jump on board and the people that are willing and, and ready and fully embrace it, watching the people that stand in the outskirts trying to understand and comprehend or replicate, and then watching the people that are just like, oh, there's no way that it's as good as it is. And the further that I progress to the outer ring and then the negative or antis, <laughs> what, what's been remarkable to me is just watching the dominoes fall in place the whole way, you know, all the way out. And what it really comes down to is breaking bread with each other. And, and you know, like you were saying, serving food, you know. And the audience that I have been able to serve food to um, has been out of this planet. For me, to, I still can't wrap my head around 90% of it. Um, and the experience that it provides, not only for me as, as a cook and, or, you know, whatever people call me a chef, I'm just a camp cook. I'm just the cook. Steven See, you don't, cl you don't climb up on the white horse either, do you? I can't, man. No. I fucking can't. No, you can't do it. I can't do it. And my my girlfriend, she'll she'll tell me often, she's like, you have imposter syndrome. Like, you know, the people that are requesting my presence blows me away. Getting a screenshot from someone who works for X, Y, and Z company, and they're showing me a screenshot from their phone of whether it be team individual does not matter um you know jack carr for example you know like 
the the it just it, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into any sort of words that makes sense, but it's well, you, it, it's hard when um, when you're realizing your dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to come off as like a name dropper, a self promoter, um, you know, imposter syndrome. I mm-hmm. think your girlfriend, she's powerful, right? <laughs> she, is. she reaches in there. She's a powerful just, woman in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about that, <laughs> um, but um, it's so you know. It's a hard line between being a self, you know, just like a reckless, self-serving, self-promoter mm-hmm. um, and being proud of the hard work and the results. Mm-hmm. And that's a line that I don't, um, I don't differentiate well. Me too. So I avoid and, it. And that's, that's, you know, like this last weekend in Mexico, I'm with all of my closest friends from fifth second grade until today and every single person that was there has gone off and absolutely fucking crushed it in their own directions and been extremely successful and done extremely well for themselves and it's interesting talking to one of my buddies there who you know works closely with with and i'm and i'm only saying this because a i'm proud of him and and b i can relate Mm -hmm. you know you know, he's working with LeBron James and Kanye West and all different kinds of people via the fashion industry and, yep. you know, like tech giant shit and all, all cover my, my group of friends I grew up with cover full spectrum. Yep. And here I am a hunter who, you know, was made fun of a lot because I hunted and was an outdoor kid. Were you the gun. resident redneck friend? Oh, 100%. Right. My Me whole too. life. Yep. And uh, even when I had a mohawk and was punk rock as fuck, I was still the resident redneck friend. <laughs> to you, the iterations of Andy. I think we need a. We're going to need to put an album together. I want, I'd like to put it up on the wall while I'm talking to you, so I know. Remind like, me after this. I'll show you the Gucci photo. Please, I'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Gucci. That's another good one. Fuck. Very trendy. Um, so, you know what? What you brought up was when you're proud of the accomplishments you've had what's what's very difficult for me is that when i'm sharing about my accomplishments that i'm proud of a lot of it has to do with talking about x y and z different people that Mm -hmm. i've worked with along the way fortunately for me i was able to start at the top of working with very prestigious companies and individual people Um, so the list is it sounds like name dropping, you know, and, yep. and now coming from a family where I have an uncle that has done extremely well for himself and been celebrity and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's his rap sheet is ridiculous. I understand that side of it where it's, it's not about the name dropping. It's just about these are the people who I'm working with. This is the reality of the situation and trying to talk about it. Well, not trying to name drop, which is extreme like that. For me, it's an extremely hard balance, you know, and, and, and line to walk. Um, my, my wife says that trying to explain to people what I do for a living is a huge challenge. And, and I and, could only imagine. Well, and I, yeah, because it, it, it doesn't, it's not conventional that, you know, just by 
So then you're always sort of vague about everything, right? Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, what, like, what do you do? I mean, and she knows she works in our business as well. My wife runs the finance side of our company and does a great job, but like, give me, give me the elevator pitch on what you do. And I used to think about it a lot more because like nobody wants to sound like an abject failure. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what my wife's really saying is I'm really proud of you, but I don't know how to describe it. And, um, I told her, I said, I ultimately, I got to this place where I realized something. No one really cares. Right. Yeah. Honestly, they really don't care at all. Yeah. And, um, so don't put a lot of thought into it. Like, let's just go do good things. And, and, uh, we have these three rules where I work and, um, they are, we work with people we like, we have fun and we make money. It's pretty so, good three rules. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you just don't screw the order up. I think if you get the order wrong, it can ruin the whole dynamic. Um, and so we, if you talk to anybody who works within our organizations, I, you, you'll hear that it comes through. It's culturally been infused into who we are. Um, and the rest of it doesn't matter. Right. It like, all comes out in the wash. It, you know, at the end of the day, I have a friend of mine who went to school at the university of Pittsburgh. Um, and I'm going to say it wrong probably. And, uh, he was a physical therapy major and he worked, I think at Pitt, he was, uh, he was an athletic trainer, excuse me, um, and physical therapy, maybe all of that together, but he was assigned to the football team and he was good at what he did. And he graduated very high in his class and he was given a scholarship to the university of Kentucky where he, he served the men's basketball team. And, you know, that, uh, career path that he was on, um, would have sounded a lot like him working for some professional sports franchise or, you know, that's the direction he was going and he was really good at it. And I don't remember if it was an internship or a summer job, but he ended up working at the office of aging and he's never worked anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And, um, he sort of you know, graduated from the university of Kentucky. And again, I, I, I would assume towards the top of his class, he's a really bright guy. And, um, and so he found his life's passion at the office of aging in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is where, um, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania is where I'm from. And, you know, I, I imagine he doesn't get the name drop. Um, and I'm sure there's people that have made more money than he has, but I'm equally certain that there's very few people who've made as big a difference as he has. Mm -hmm. And he chose a quality of life because he didn't have to travel with some sports franchise all over the world for some, you know, large portion of the year, every year he wanted to be a dad and a, and a good husband. And he's both of those things. Um, but he serves his community and, um, he was passed up a couple of times for the position that would be in charge of the office that he worked out of, which was for Lancaster County. And, I don't, you know, I certainly don't know why he was frustrated as friends. We talked about it a lot and he was, he almost left a couple times and he had applied and been through interviews and never got the other job. And he felt defeated by that. Um, and I shouldn't say defeated, but he was frustrated for sure. But anyway, the, the moral of the story is, um, he persevered and he chose to focus on the difference he was making instead of the opportunities he wasn't given. Um, and last year he was, um, promoted to run the office and he'd kind of checked that box off and said, Hey, that's not going to happen for me. 
because we're in our fifties, right? Yeah. Like we're getting, but it did. And, and it's, his story is every bit as interesting, right? 100%. And, um, and so, and his accomplishments are every bit as real. Just we, we, we've done it a different way. Well, that's hard, hard to measure the success, I guess. How do you keep score? Well, so, so, something that I really like that you're bringing up. Now, I sat down this last weekend with a man who is a school teacher in California, and he teaches fifth grade history. Yep. And the accomplishments that he's been able to have as a school teacher in California and the things that he has to deal with and the trips that he takes his family on. And, and I, and I sat and I got to know this man and listen to his story and understand who he is as an individual and a father and everything like that. And his story is equally, and it's, um, it's, it's the same as what you're saying. His story is equally as amazing as my story or your story or anyone else's story that has struggled and gone through the ropes and, you know, maintained the course and and came out the other side of it and that that to me is what is so powerful about every individual's journey and and what we all take on in this world as individuals you know because my pain and suffering is the same as your pain and suffering is the same as these two gentlemen's pain and suffering the the suffrage is the same the story and the terms are different context you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something that I've really tried to wrap my head around in the last, you know, five to eight years and really focus on is that every individual's story of to success and getting to where they are and the impact they have is so paramount because every community is different. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're, where you're talking about where your friend has succeeded and the lives he's changed and the impact he's made on the world. Well, there's no bright light shined on it except for, you know, close confidence and family and friends and everything like that. Like what he's been able to achieve and accomplish is is just the same as anybody else. You know what I mean? It, and and made an impact living a life of serv servitude and, and gratitude. And a lot of it, I think, is when we make that switch over to living a life of gratitude where nothing is expected we can climb so much further and achieve so much more because it's no longer about what I mean obviously in business there's always a what am I getting out of this but <clears throat> you know in, in growth as an individual it's no longer about what am I gaining here it's about how can I help the next person and what can I do yeah, I would say that the journey to understanding that is probably um, a work that's never really done, right? Mm -hmm. You're always working on it. Because you, your ego does, at different times in your life, it rears its ugly head. Fuck yeah, it does. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and for me, it's funny because I'm a, like an uber competitive person. And I don't mean that like I want to beat you. Mm -hmm. um, that That's not it. It's more about... Um, like I, I, I never felt like I belonged anywhere, anywhere. Right. Relatable because, um, and I think we all feel that way to some degree. 
whether people are willing to admit it or not. When when I got the job at Easton or at Hoyt, excuse me, um, I drove from Pennsylvania to Utah, and my stepdad rode with me. And he was not wrong in his assessment. It's going to sound a little harsh, but he, he and I have a very close relationship. And he asked me a question. He's like, "Like, what are they? What are you going to do when they figure out you have no idea what you're doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And, oh, I love that. And I, you know, my that's him. Like his way of motivating is to, like, he's going to put the elephant right in front of you, because he also knows the way I am, which is, um. I'm I'm going to prove him wrong, and he he knew that that was the way to push the buttons. Maybe I don't know, but his comment was like, "If I were you, I'd be the first one in and the last one to leave every day." Like, the one thing that you can do is show him that you'll work hard, and maybe they'll forgive you for all the <laughs> for all the things you're incompetent, <laughs> right? Like maybe that'll give them enough hope that they'll hang in there, mm-hmm. and um and so. I, you know, I won't say that that was true every day, but it was true more than it wasn't. Um, and I would hope that um, Randy Walk, who's who's out there somewhere, um, and someone that I still respect, would agree with that. Is that for what I didn't know how to do, I made up for it with hard work, and and I learned a lot. So I I think you know those kinds of uh, messages are the things that I want to give my kids. You know, I I'm blessed. My I have three daughters and a stepson and two of my daughters are out of college and they both work in our organization and um and they work in our organization in a way that's not disruptive that's not um like favoritism um they 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 don't lead um well in the beginning they didn't i should say my oldest daughter who runs human resources for every company that we are a part of um, and she does a phenomenal job. She's in her master's uh, degree program now at the University of Montana. I'm super proud of her for doing that. Um, and proud of her for the intelligence and hard work she brings to everything. And um, she's, it's cool being a dad and realizing that you like your adult children. It's like at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the juice. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I get to like them. And that doesn't mean I always agree with them. And it doesn't mean that she's not a pain in the ass sometimes, because she is. Sounds like mine and my dad's relationship. There you go, right? <laughs> like, to a T. Yeah, like, she, uh, she's really smart, and she pushes all the buttons. But she's magic, too. She, she gets things done, and she's a hard worker, and she's honorable. And my middle daughter, who who was sort of just going to breeze through and... And then it was like, I'm going to hang out for a little bit and, and let me help and make some money until I figure out what I want to do. Cause the LA thing was just, it was just, a, you know, COVID was a train wreck. And, um, but man, she's just, she's my group of folks, that group of mercenaries. Um, she and I weren't in a place where I could be helpful to her, but they weren't her dad hmm. and, uh, and they could be, and they were impactful and what came of that is beautiful. And again, I get to know her as an adult and I really like her. And my ex-wife and I um, are really proud of the fact that we have kids that we really like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Have you ever told her or any of your kids you're proud of them? Oh, oh I try too often. Yeah, mm-hmm. I try too often. Um, my dad never told me he was proud of what I was doing until I got fired from my last job. <laughs> well, I think, Andy, you've probably made that a little difficult. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. When we go through the album, I'll understand a little better why. Yeah. But uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. You know, um, my father, you know, I think a lot about, I think, well, okay, so, man, we're getting way off subject. But it's I guess okay. there, there's no subject, is there? There isn't. So um, my mom and dad were divorced. And my father was a hard worker, um, and he liked to have a good time. And so I didn't get to see much of him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, and I didn't hear, um, you know, I'm proud of you. And I don't, I don't mean that like it's not been a scarring event in my life, but you well, either... A liberating and maybe a motivational yeah, I, I think um, it's made me work really hard so that I can be proud of myself, mm-hmm. right? That's what it's done for me. That's right. And Which is a gift. It is, because ultimately, we shouldn't seek the approval of others, mm-hmm. and we should do what we think is right and what we know is right, and we should commune with, you know, for me, it's God, and, and, and that's not to speak to that for everybody else, but that's my journey, and I I try to you know, be his light and that's it. And, um, but I wanted to do it a little different, a little differently than that. Uh, You know, one, I'm really proud of my ex-wife, to be honest with you. Um, she's a school teacher in an inner city school in Lancaster, downtown Lancaster city, which is a pretty rough place. Yeah. And she's, that's a task right there. That's a lot to bite off. She's an amazing mom and she's fought her way through uh, cancer and raised three strong women. And, um, and she makes a difference in the lives of kids who have it a whole lot tougher than I did or my kids did. And, um, and I think that's, again, it's like, man, it's, there's something noble about someone who does that consciously, like makes a decision like, I'm going to go do this because it needs done. And I dig that. I think she's cool for that. And um, so, you know, at the end of it all, I think what we get to is like what we do is not really who we are as men we struggle with that mm-hmm. you know i someone pointed that out i don't remember where i was but it, maybe it was the hoffman institute i went you know i want to be a better version of myself did you go through the hoffman institute i, I did in napa I, in napa yeah. so i'm gonna just shameless plug my best friend who i was just with this weekend now are you familiar with raz and liza raz and grassi and, and liza for so sure. mike and grassi is my best friend. The world's a small place. Who brother. I just was in Mexico with. I have with. no idea. And I mean, let me tell you, the Hoffman Institute is something that is on my bucket list of things that I need to go through for personal growth for myself. Like, holy fucking shit, Jeff. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, first of all, Raz is... A Raz li- is... He's a life changer. So mike's wedding which was the wedding we went uh lindsay and i had gone to in in july in california i mean i've known raz since i was a kid which he knows now he knows now <laughs> oh my goodness yeah but uh, raz pulled me aside at the wedding and for me as as a kid 
Raz was somebody that I was always able to look up to and always able to listen and hear what he was said, even as a kid, yep. you know, and his outlook on life and his ability and way that he participates in individuals' lives while he's conversating with them is mind-blowing. It really is. Mind-blowing. That journey towards self-actualization, which... Um, Get the fuck out of here, dude. I'm... It yeah. blew my mind. Um, I, I mean, that's a journey, right? Mm -hmm. And um, talk about a place if you went and did that you could name drop, mm -hmm. if that was your MO. Um, because there's some pretty amazing people that go through those classes. Yes. Right? But part of the brotherhood, or that's not a brotherhood because there's men and women there, but part of the deal is, you know, we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's fight club. How's that? Yeah. It's fight club. You don't talk For about the mental who, fight. Yeah. And it's, but you don't talk about who was there, mm -hmm. right? It's a place where you can feel safe and work on yourself because it's very open too. You have to be willing to share your deepest and darkest because mm -hmm. you can't, you can't move on if you can't confront those things. And, um, and Raz does that in such an amazing way. Yeah. He's like a cat playing with a ball of yarn and we are the <laughs> yeah. ball of yarn. At some point you do figure it out. It's like, <laughs> go on, this guy already knows the answer to every question. And, but self-actualization I think is, um, is a context that, uh, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I won't say that I've ever, I am not there. Um, and whether it's because of experience or age and a softening, I, you know, you certainly, you certainly feel that take place as you, as you age, um, it gets easier to imagine being able to do it when I was younger and you're just coursing with testosterone and, you know, all those hormones that young men have, I, I mean, it's hard to quiet everything down. It was for me. To be Until able the to head focus. pops out the ass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that maybe. Until life just kicks your ass. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if anybody says that they've they've never had their ass kicked, uh, um, they didn't ever walk through life without a net. And you know, yeah. I think wealthy people, their kids walk through life without a net. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think bouncing gives us a chance to understand the power of reinventing oneself. And in self-improvement, right? Because if you can't hit bottom, and I'm telling this to someone who knows, knows it as well as anyone, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't hit bottom, man, you can't really, you can't really dig deep. Because when you're, when you've like, hey, I started a company after I left Easton. I raised money. I brought in investors and then got fired from my own company while I was going through a divorce. And... That was rock bottom. That'll do it. Yeah. Like, and, and the people that were my investors were a lot of them were business associates. Um, and at the time I was angry because I felt like they had been disloyal. Um, but we, I made an agreement with them and that was, is that they would give me a dollar and I would give them back some multiplying effect on their dollar. And I hadn't accomplished it. Um, whether it was my fault or not is, is irrelevant. That was the deal, right? That's how it works. And they felt like there was another horse they wanted to ride so that they could multiply their dollar. And, um, but it was a tough, it was a tough time. But I look at that as a life changing time for me. It was an opportunity. Our most growth comes out of the deepest pain. It's hard to watch your kids though. 
Mm-hmm. When you have the means, it's hard to watch your kids go through those things and not want to intervene. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that my faith tells me is I don't want to get in the way of people's need for the for for their for their faith and for God. You know, like that's an interference. And he needs that in order to show people the light and to lead them in the right direction. And so that's always been, I think that's one of the hard things about ultimately um, achieving some level of success, however you define it, is that you don't want to interfere with, with um, whether it's your kids or your friends and family, your coworkers, your employees, whatever it is. You, you don't want to interfere with their opportunity for growth. It's sort of like, um, you know, firing people is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me because I understand the impact of it because it's happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it's painful. Yeah. Right? That was one of the most difficult parts about my last career before I went off onto my own, you know, was letting people go. I've, I've probably gained more, though, because it forces you to be self-reflective. Like, hey, what did I do here? Like, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? And all those things can lead you to the best version of yourself. And that's not to say that's the only way to learn. I mean, certainly having success and and also if you can be self-reflective and not arrogant about your success is can be just as good of a learning experience and it's certainly a much better environment because <laughs> it sucks being broke yeah. and rejected and at the bottom. It sucks. Nobody wants to see anybody there. Um, but we need it at times. And God does things, I think. This is my belief. He gives us what we need exactly when we need it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been the father that I, um, and by all means, uh, I could have been better as a father, but I wouldn't have been the father that I am um, had I not been through that. Because one of the things that I realized was like, hey, I'm chasing all of this, you know, momentary um, success. And um, because I think it, to a large extent, when you grow up in divorce, my folks all worked hard and were successful business people. Um, and that was their primary. They were great providers. Um, but maybe maybe on balance, um, they weren't as good of role models on being present, right? Mm-hmm. And so my brother, my older brother, is a, is a very present parent. And he's made career sacrifices because he recognized that there was a choice to make. I would say that I wasn't as extreme as my folks, but I was more extreme than him about wanting to be successful. And that required sacrifice that my kids didn't have a vote in. Um, But we all have to make those choices, right? And being 53, almost 54, um, I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of them because they're good people. And my oldest daughter's a good mom and I have a grandson. Like, I can't believe I'm saying that. What's up, grandpa? Yeah, grandpa. <laughs> like, wow, where did that go? I was the young kid. Now I'm the old guy. I'm the OG. At least I, th- that's my self descriptor. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but you know, uh, I don't know how people, um, 
do life coaching? That's a, that's a puzzle in my brain. Mm-hmm. Like what qualifies one person to tell another person how to live their life? Um, and I think we're always, everyone is looking for the secret sauce of life, of success, whether success is measured in business or in the family that you're able to have and create and support and lead, um, material success, you know, all those things are on the spectrum of success, I guess. And how you can take yours and hand it to somebody else and say, how should I do this? Because I think ultimately we're all, um, it's, it's true of all of us. We've all had times of grand success, times of grand failure, and I wouldn't change any of it now, you know, now, cause it's, it's, it's been a great ride, man. Like yeah. I don't want it to end, but if it, cause I want to do more, like there's more work I want to do. I want to, I want to do more for other people. And, but if it did end, I don't have any regrets. Yeah. I took the big swing. Sometimes I hit the ball and other times I hit myself in the face with a bat, but it's all been pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> I might get that tattoo. <laughs> you should. You should. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. No regrets is a great way to stick and, a fork in. Yeah. And and if anyone is interested in Wild Society Coffee, where can people look it up? www.wildsocietycoffee.com. 20% of all of the profits go into hunting, fishing, conservation projects, making a real change for us all as outdoorsmen and stewards of the land. Um, visit their website, check them out, and uh, get involved. Our coffee goes really good with your flip-flop sauce. Hey, <laughs> I've actually made a few recipes that are have some coffee, coffee infused so Man. and it's instant coffee that that is infused with it let's do something together yeah we should all right cool, i love man. it right on well Th- thanks guys thanks everybody for tuning in jeff thanks thank Andy. you i'm glad that we were able to make this happen me too bro thank yeah. you bud you bet thanks for tuning into the show folks if you'd like to check us out online our website is www.theflipflopguide.co You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.